Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. In time for an intriguing story from a tidbit from Timothy P. Brown of FootballArchaeology.com of Was There a Homicide on the Gridiron? Tim joins us in just a moment to tell us about murder on the football field. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day to day basis. Your host, Darren Hayes, is podcasting from America's North Shore to bring you the memories of the gridiron one day at a time. So as we come out of the tunnel of the Sports History Network, let's take the field and go no huddle through the portal of positive gridiron history with pigskindispatch.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of PigskinDispatch.com. Welcome once again to the Pigpen, your portal to positive football history. And welcome to another Tuesday. We have Timothy P. Brown here from FootballArchaeology.com. Tim, welcome back to the Pigpen. Hey, Darren. Look forward to chatting. It's a potentially difficult topic that we're going to talk about, but I'll let that story develop as we go. Yeah, this is really one that uh, kind of surprising. Usually, uh, your your titles and your your articles are a little bit more on the lighter side, and you know your title from back in early October was "Murder on the Football Field." A little bit of a mystery, uh, there, you know, hangs over yeah. with that, and uh, you know. Like any good uh, Agatha Christie or Alfred Hitchcock, you know, I wanted to get into this article and read it. And that I'm sure that a lot of the other readers of footballarchaeology.com wanted to do that as well. So we are glad that you were here to uh, tell us all about this uh, instance in this article. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I I enjoy doing, you know, is kind of set up to some of these, uh, some of our discussions on uh, on your podcast is to just kind of talk about, well, how did I come across this issue or idea or information? And so this is one where, you know, I'm always looking at old um, RPPC, so uh, real photo postcards. And some of them I buy just, you know, because they, you know, guys are wearing some kind of old equipment or, you know, the, the gear they have is just so horrible that it's just, you know, kind of almost amazing that they decided to play. And other times, you know, it's just just a great photographic or there's something appealing uh, to it. So that in this case, I came across an RPPC. It showed three guys, the backfield for the Bethany College team in West Virginia from 1910. And what I thought was amusing about the picture was that they're standing on the field. and You can see the goalposts in the background. And not too far behind the goalposts and not too, you know, too far to the left is a school building with a bunch of glass windows. <laughs> so <laughs> I just thought, okay, well, hopefully they had an accurate kicker, but, you know, if they didn't, then they broke <laughs> some windows. Uh, so that's, that's actually what got me actually interested <laughs> in the image. But then 
a lot of times what I do is I'll, you know, I knew it was, it was identified as 1910 Bethany. So I did quick search uh, on them, found out that in one of their games, um, an opposing player uh, had died. And so then I said, okay, I'm going to bid on it. So I, I had a thing and eventually, you know, I, I get it. And um, so then uh, that's when I really kind of dove into the research. I mean, just did enough to know, okay, I could probably make a story out of this. So, I mean, what, what happened is that, um, so Bethany College, you know, small school in, uh, in West Virginia, and they were playing for the second time, they were playing uh, West Virginia University uh, in football that year. And they, you know, they'd lost, the, I think, off tied a you know, close game earlier in the year. And so this is like a, you know, if there's a 10-game season, there's a seventh or eighth game of the season. And um, the game had been pretty chippy. And in fact, the, the Bethany coach had complained to the officials about, you know, just kind of some of the behavior in the game. And so with a couple minutes left, Virginia's quarterback, a guy named Monk, kicks a field goal to seal the game. It's, you know, make it five nothing. So you know, pretty much Bethany was going to be out of it. Um, and then several plays later, um, Monk is still on the field. He gets by a Bethany player, uh, falls to the ground, is carried off the field, and dies a couple hours later. So um, now, you know, there's kind of the the initial reports that came out. So, you know, any time a player died in a game, and especially in, you know, this is a fairly big-time game, um, you know, it got publicized. So it, there were, you know, if you looked at almost any small-town newspaper in the country, it had a short article about this player who was killed in a football game. Um, and so – the initial articles said that the umpire had kicked the Bethany player, a guy named McCoy, that he had seen McCoy hit Monk from behind. And then, uh, so he thought it was deliberate. And so then he, he kicked him out of the game for that. Um, and then, um, you know, basically right away that the local coroner, um, you know, sets up a coroner's inquest that's going to be you know scheduled for a couple of days later, and he orders Coy to appear. He wasn't arrested, but he was the next thing to being arrested, and and the whole thing was okay. He was the coroner was viewing this as a case of he was investigating it as as a murder, and so obviously that made it you know the headlines all the more dramatic. Um, and, you know, pretty much right away, both schools cancel the rest of their football season. So then when it comes time to to do the inquest, McCoy shows up. Um, but by that time, the, the umpire is kind of walking back some of his, his earlier comments. So, yes, he had kicked McCoy out of the game, but he was no longer saying, well, I saw him hit from behind. Um, and then other people... No, nobody on either team said seen the hit, but there were people in the crowd who testified at this inquest that that McCoy had hit Monk from in front, and that would it was basically a standard football play. 
Um, so nothing, you know, nothing unusual from that from that vantage point. Um, now, then what came, what got revealed in this inquest is that Monk had a history of concussions and, and even, you know, beyond anything that you can even think happened today. The previous year, he had, uh, in a game, he had been hit and he went down unconscious and the newspapers varied whether he was unconscious for two days or two weeks, but he was out of it for, you know, a significant amount of time. Um, and then, you know, basically the doctor said, you cannot play football anymore. Um, his parents told him you cannot play football anymore, but he goes back to school for his senior year, goes out for the football team. And, you know, because he's, you know, this hard nosed kid or whatever, the, the team is a cap to be captain, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, so, uh, so basically, you know, once that testimony came out that, you know, the coroner is like, well, this is an ac- accidental death, right? You know, you can't, you know, even if this, uh, even if McCoy had done something dastardly, you know, M- Monk was playing when he shouldn't have been. And, you know, he he had this history of, you know, significant head injury. And yet he went out there and played again. You know, so anyways, you know, it's one of those where, um, you know, there's some other little extenuating circumstances. But I think for me, the, you know, it's, I don't recall seeing other instances where, you know, somebody was being, was potentially charged with murder for activity on a football field. I'm sure there's other situations and I, you know, I probably should do some sort of searching for that, but, but it kind of raises the question of what would it take today? You know, so what would have to happen today for people to leave the field and, or, you know, folks in the stands and look at it and say, that guy ought to be charged with murder. You know, in the event somebody was killed as a result of, you know, being hit or struck, you know, on a football field. So, you know, uh, you know, in my mind, I see certain, I'm not advocating necessarily for a murder charge, but I'm not advocating against it. But there are some, some of the targeting hits that I think are horribly foul, you know, in terms of, the way that some you know players are hitting one another, um, there I've seen cases um, more youth level actually than, than among older kids where somebody grabs a face mask and is literally like spinning another guy around, you know, twisting his neck, that kind of thing. What will you know if, if that happened? And then you got you know another case would be, you know, sometimes just these fights, you know, and somebody's helmet comes off. But if somebody took their helmet and swung it and hit another guy who doesn't have his helmet on, yeah, you know, if you hit him so, in the head. So sort of that uh, Miles Garrett, uh, Mason Rudolph uh, from a Steelers-Browns game probably about four or five years ago. I think that was a famous case of that with Miles Garrett swinging a helmet at a, a an uncapped uh, Mason Rudolph or whatever, yeah. whatever happened yeah. before yeah. that. but. It, because you know, they, they were talking about maybe pressing charges there and it didn't even make contact, you know, for, for assault. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, you think about it, it's like, okay, how far 
does the fact that you're playing a football game absolve you from your behavior? You know, behavior that, you know, I mean, if you played the game, one of the great things about it is you can go run into a guy, slam him, and take him to the ground, and it's all sanctioned. Everybody's happy that you did it, right? You can't <laughs> right. do that on the street, right? And you can't do it in your classroom. You get to do it on the football field. Um, and yet, where, you know, where does one cross the line? I just think it's an interesting question, and thankfully, you know, it's not one that we have to face, at least, you know, certainly very often. But, you know, the potential's out there, you know, that, yeah. so it's kind of, I mean, it, it's, you know, not that you have to answer the question, but it's just, you know, to think about okay, what would it take? What would it take to, for somebody, you'd say, okay, that, that, that guy to be charged murder for that. Yeah. That's, that's are you going to solve, are you going to solve the, solve this mystery? I I don't know if I want to be the one that's going to have to be the judge and jury on that one. That's yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I get, I think there's, you know, especially nowadays we have video on everything from, you know, little kids games. You have probably three or four parents uh, filming it. Everything's filmed now, uh, you know, and yeah, yeah. once you get to the NFL games, you got 45 cameras from every angle of the stadium looking at it and, you know, five drones and whatever, you know, so I think uh, you can probably figure out what, what's going on pretty much on almost any football game, especially major college and professional and probably a lot of the other ones too. Uh, so I, I think, you may have more video evidence uh, if a crime happened on a football field than you would maybe even at a bank. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Good point. Good. Yeah, back then it was like, you know, very few games, you know, were filmed and certainly not a Benny West Virginia game, you know, right. just wasn't going to happen. You know, so yeah, it's uh Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just another one of those other examples of where technology just changes changes the, the questions and the answers, and so yeah, and I, and I crazy, think crazy, crazy, crazy. I, I think there's more of a um, a camaraderie in, in football, maybe in in the more modern eras, and there's a brotherhood, and everybody understands, you know, that you're all on the same th side, and you can get if somebody can get hurt bad if you do a cheap shot, because you see you know, teammates and opponents come together when, when somebody goes down, I think even more, more so probably than this era where people just, you know, they, they wanted to, to hurt you sometimes. And that was just the, the way the game was at that, that period of time. Yeah. And, uh, so I think it's a little bit more, it's calmed down a little bit and people understand a little bit more that they can really do some damage to somebody. Yeah. And I think, you know, obviously the, the protective gear and everything is, much better. Obviously, all the concussion protocols are we're in a lighter space. Um, but we also have bigger, faster, stronger athletes. So, you know, it's that's, that's the hitting that goes on is really pretty incredible. That's true. And people are still getting hurt and sometimes even death is occurring and uh, that's a bad thing too. So you know, hopefully we get some technology and rules and techniques and uh, try to prevent uh, people from getting permanently injured and you know even the worse you know so hopefully that's in the future for football so yeah tim we really appreciate you you bringing up this story i mean it, it brings up uh 
you know, you bring up a lot of questions. Uh, people are going to be thinking about this. I know I'll be thinking about this and, uh, you know, something that happened, you know, 110, 115 years ago and, uh, you know, bringing some light to it and bring some memory of this young man that uh, passed away playing a game that he loved, even to the point where he knew he was in danger playing it and did it anyway. And uh, to his own uh, detriment and, uh, you know, it all comes through uh, just seeing a building with a bunch of windows and a goalpost by it, and uh, real interesting. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you you have some interesting things like this each and every day uh, in your tidbits on footballarchaeology.com. and maybe you could share with the listeners how they too can participate in uh, reading this and enjoying your work. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the the easiest, best, and you know, I, my preferred way would be that somebody goes to uh, goes to the site. You know, www.footballarchaeology.com, subscribe, and you'll get an email every night at 7 o'clock Eastern with that day's story. Um, alternatively, you can follow me on, on Twitter or on Threads or on the Substack app. Um, you know, of course, you can always just uh, bookmark the site and go there periodically. But uh, so kind of, you know, whatever works for you. Um, I've... Uh, the the information's out there, so kind of have at it and consume it however you prefer to consume. All right. Well, footballarchaeology.com is the website. We have the show notes, has the links uh, to get to this particular tidbit. It'll also, we have a link in there too. It'll get you to the rest of Tim's site. And uh, his name is Timothy P. Brown. And uh, we enjoy him each and every Tuesday here on Pigskin Dispatch. And Tim, we thank you once again for shedding some light and enlightenment on uh football of antiquity very good thank you sir and we will see you next week that's all the football history we have today folks join us back tomorrow for more of your football history we invite you to check out our website pigskindispatch.com not only to see the daily football history but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game as well as our own football comic strip Cleat Marks Comics pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history Special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe, as well as Jason Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hey there, football fans. This is Ross, the host of the Pigskin Tales podcast. I just need a few moments of your time to talk about the host of the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, Darren Hayes. He's expanded the pig pen to search out information on the history of all team sports. It's a quest to find out about the competitors, teams, and places chronicled throughout athletic history through the uniforms and gear the participants used and wore. And he is taking you, the listener, with him on this educational journey to preserve sports history on the Sports Jersey Dispatch, found here on the Sports History Network. His newest podcast, called Jersey Dispatch, is all based on the jerseys that all the greats used to wear. 
You can find Darren Hayes and the Pigskin Dispatch podcast, as well as Jersey Dispatch, on your favorite podcast provider multiple times each week. So remember that, Darren Hayes, the host of the Pigskin Dispatch and Jersey Dispatch podcasts. It's found right here on the Sports History Network. 